Today on Colorado Outdoors, we'll learn about the realities of rattlesnakes, their demeanor, habits, and how important they are to the Colorado ecosystem. We're talking rattlesnakes on Colorado Outdoors. You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. The podcast is powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. GOCO invests a portion of Colorado lottery proceeds to help preserve and enhance the state's parks, trails, wildlife, rivers, and open spaces. Its independent board awards competitive grants to local governments and land trusts and makes investments through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Created when voters approved a constitutional amendment back in 1992, GOCO has committed more than $1.2 billion in lottery proceeds to more than 5,200 projects in all 64 counties without any tax dollar support. Well, we're talking rattlesnakes today on Colorado Outdoors. Joining us is CPW Species Conservation Coordinator Tina Jackson. Tina, thanks for joining us, first off. And secondly, you know, we've all seen the old westerns when the rattlesnake appears, all panic ensues, and those snakes are hunting people down. And I'm not sure that's the uh, fairest representation of rattlesnakes. Just to begin with here, for, for people here in the state of Colorado, how should we view rattlesnakes here in the Centennial State? Hi, Mark. It's good to talk to you today about these guys. Yeah, that is not the best representation of rattlesnakes. (laughs) Most of our rattlesnakes want nothing to do with being captured on film. So first and foremost, what they want to do here in in Colorado is hide from us. Um, So much like any of the other things, any other, other wildlife out there in the world, they just don't want us to see them. So, you know, most people are out hiking and there are rattlesnakes nearby and they just never have any idea. Well, give us a, a kind of the broad strokes here in the state of Colorado. From a snake standpoint, how, how many different species do we have here in the state of Colorado? And then, specifically, how many are rattlesnakes? Colorado, we're actually pretty snake-heavy, and I know there's probably a lot of people who now are putting their house on the market. Um, <laughs> and But we have, um, we have about 30 different species of snakes in the state, and I say about because the taxonomists are always playing with is that two species, is that one. And of that 30, um, three of those are rattlesnakes. Um, and they are only really venomous species that we as humans need to worry about. So give us a little detail about, about the three species we deal with here in Colorado. Kind of uh, what's unique about them? Where can we find them here in the state? So our most common is um, known as the prairie rattlesnake. And that occurs throughout the state below 9,000 feet in elevation. You find them here in the Denver metro area, um, over on the west slope. They, they're the ones most people bump into. Um, And then over on the very western edge of the state, we have the western rattlesnake. Um, We also here in the state will call it the midget faded, and it's a really pretty little snake. Um, It used to, it and the prairie rattlesnake used to actually be in the same species back to that taxonomy changes. And then down in the southeast part of the state, we have what's called the desert mafasaga, and that is a really cute little snake. Um, Only gets about two, two and a half feet long, super vibrant colors, and very, very secretive. Those guys, um, the populations are reasonably rare, um, but where they occur, there's, there's a pretty good number of them. 
You know, I, I think there's probably somebody listening to the podcast today that's snake phobic and just said, did Tina just say they're a really cute little rattlesnake? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I did. And the thing I also love about rattlesnakes is they're one of the snake species that actually give live birth. So they retain, the female snakes will retain the eggs, and then wow. when those eggs hatch, they, they actually give live birth. And so those little, those little baby snakes, super adorable and they're the one neat thing about rattlesnakes um and the one helpful thing when we're trying to id snakes in the state is even baby rattlesnakes have what we call a button a little a little one rattle uh -huh. um so at no point in a rattlesnake's life does their tail come to a point like all of our other species so that's the thing i always tell people when they're looking to, to figure out if the snake in front of them it's something to really worry about is always look at that tail. You know, one of the things, too, that, that people might, might not understand, snakes are, are really important and beneficial to the ecosystem, aren't they? Oh, super important. Um, and and for, for many reasons. One, the one I always like to point out, because the thing I don't find very cute are, like, mice in my house. Um, <laughs> snakes are huge rodent eaters. Um, so if you have a mouse problem in, in the yard, um, bring a snake over, um, and, and don't actually physically bring a snake over, but invite <laughs> a snake over for dinner. Um, and so they're, they're super helpful in controlling some of those rodent populations around the state. But the other thing that's neat about snakes is they really sit right in the middle of the food chain. And mm. so there's so many other things that eat them. Um, our most recent Colorado Outdoors photo issue is of an owl eating a snake on the cover. Wow. So, um, you know, they're, they sit right there in the middle. They're super important for so many different, you know, for, for the bigger animals to be able to access what, what um, resources are in the little ones. You know, depending on when somebody is listening to our podcast today, and, and here in the state of Colorado, it might be 75 or it might be snowing, we're not sure, but it is springtime and snakes are becoming more active. Give our listeners just a, a little bit of an understanding about kind of the cycle uh, that snakes go through in terms of their activity. Yeah, and this is this is one of the other things I just love about snakes is they are they are one of the wildlife species in the state that we as mammals have a really hard time understanding how they make a living, and that's because they're what most people will call cold-blooded. Um, they're ectotherms, and so you and I we eat breakfast. We that ramps our metabolism up. It keeps we eat food to keep our temperature right at that ninety-eight point six. Snakes don't really do that. They really can't do that. So they get their temperature from the environment around them. So in the middle of the winter, if it's 20 degrees outside, the snake's temperature runs at 20 degrees. Hmm. I, I, that would not work for me. <laughs> Amen. And that doesn't work for snakes. So they spend the winter underground um, really hibernating. They, they shut the system down and they wait until it warms up. So this time of year, what's happening is they're starting to feel that it's warming up, that tells their body to warm up, and so they start warming up, but they're all still at their hibernation site, and they're coming out, kind of checking the temperature if it's warm enough, but they don't go very far because, like you said, we could have a snowstorm in an hour, so they want to be close to being able to get back to that temperature where they're safe. And then as the season goes on, that temperature that they like to be at can often be in the middle of the day. So for our prairie rattlesnakes, they're most active between like 66 and 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. So that's the temperature they like their body to be at. So when that happens in the middle of the day, then they could potentially be out and about.
body warms up enough for them to be active. And then as we get into the summertime, that 66 to 86 only happens in the evening or at night because it gets too hot during the day. Sure. And that's a piece of being an ectotherm that, that a lot of people don't think about is when it's 98 degrees out, they're actually running a temperature. And they have nothing they can do. They can't sweat or anything to kind of lower that temperature besides get into a cooler spot. Hmm. And then as we get into the fall, they go back to being active during the daytime. So it's the spring and the fall that are important times for us as humans to think about rattlesnake activity because that temperature that they prefer is happening during the daylight hours when we're most active. So that's when we get most of our calls. That's when we see most of our observations from people um, are during the spring and the fall. And they both happen to overlap with us wanting to get out and (laughs) do a lot of activities and recreate and hunt and fish. And so we like to kind of bring that to everyone's attention. We're we're breaking out of the winter. We want to get out there and, and do some hiking with our dogs and be aware that if it's really a nice day, you might want to see who else might be on that trail before you head out. Well, just like we could cabin fever, snakes get cabin fever, right? They want to get out when, when the weather's nice. Hey, you know, you mentioned a while exactly. ago about about how they, they prefer to hide. But, but let's say uh, I'm out for a hike one afternoon and I come walking along the trail and there's a big old rattlesnake sitting out in front of me. What, what do I do? Just give him plenty of space. Um, the first thing they're going to do, if he's, if he's sitting in the middle of the trail, mm-hmm. what he's probably trying to do, especially if it's early in the day, is warm himself up um, so that he can go about his day. He can go get some lunch, digest that, um, do what he needs to do. So just give him plenty of space. As long as he's sitting there, he's coiled up, and he's not rattling, mm-hmm. he's not disturbed. And in a lot of cases, what they'll do is sit really tight. Because in their experience, they can't be seen until they move, which works for most predators, works for owls, works for coyotes, works for dogs. Um, So as long as he sits still, that normal predator is going to just walk right by him. When he thinks you're getting too close, that's when he might start giving you a little bit of a rattle. At that point, that's saying, okay, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, you need to back up. So what I always tell people is just give him plenty of space. It's one of the few times I tell people, walk off trail. Uh, <laughs> give, him, give him plenty of space. Let him stay where he is. You know, a lot of people say, well, I need to move him off the trail. And you really don't. And that's, that's going to be a problem for probably both him and, and you. Um, you know, just let him be. And if you see someone else coming down the trail, just warn them that they're going to want to either turn around or go wide. Just give him some space. You know, you talk about that rattle, and I've been out before. I'm in the backcountry quite a bit, out hunting and fishing and horseback riding, those kind of things. When you hear that noise, it can be a little bit startling. And and, and maybe you can talk a little bit to the point that there are other snakes, like bull snakes out there, that can mimic that sound, can't they? And and is there some way to differentiate or something we we should be aware of when we hear that sound? Yeah, that that sound is is startling, yes. (laughs) It'll, It'll definitely get your attention, and that's the point of it. Um, is they want to, whatever is coming close to them, they want to say, hey, I'm scary, you need to back up. And it works that way because it makes us back up. I, I have a dog that if she sees that, hears that sound, she's out of there. She wants nothing to do with it, which I love. Um, but it's also amazing because so many other animals have figured that out as well. 
um, bull snakes you mentioned. They they do a great rattlesnake mimic. And what we talk about a lot is they'll they'll either use like gravel or leaves, and they'll shake their tail in that to get the sound. But they can also do it with their breath. Mm. Um, we had one brought into the office one time, and it was in an empty um, glass aquarium, and it made the rattle. And I I was actually watching it to see how it did this, and it actually did it with its breath, which was amazing. A number of other snakes will do it. Burrowing owls, when they're out on a prairie dog town and they're in, they're nesting, they'll be underground and they'll make the sound underground. Wow. So that whatever is thinking of coming down the burrow after their nest will think twice. How about so, that? Yeah, there's a lot of species that use that. Fascinating. You know, it, uh, you briefly touched on this as well, where you said, you know, there, there's a tendency or a thought that maybe I should help that snake off the path. It's important to remember, isn't it? Not only do rattlesnakes, but any species of snake, best not to touch, correct? Exactly. And that's what we say with all wildlife. You know, just it's best just not to touch them. And and I think in a lot of cases we we think, or at least I growing up thought, you know, they're right there and I can grab it and so I should. And and really with all wildlife, it's best not to touch it. And what I say with snakes is, you know, the rattlesnakes, they have venom. And so there's a good reason not to touch them. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the snakes have teeth. And all the snakes know how to use their teeth. And so it's best just to let them be. If they really are in a spot where they should not be there, um, you know, kind of trying to coax them off might, might work. But they've chosen to be in that spot for a reason. And a lot of times we just can't make, we can't understand why they chose that. So it's best just not to pick them up, not to touch them. Um, you know, if you have one in the backyard that you need to get out because of, of kids, or um, pets, um, what I'll often recommend is, like, use a big trash can and a push broom and yeah. coax them into the trash can because that way put a lid on it and you can kind of safely move them yeah. within, the, within the can like that. You know, what you're talking about in terms of their presence, and, and you know, I think about being out and walking along a trail or somebody's out hiking or doing whatever they're doing and the mind's wandering and you're enjoying the great outdoors. It's important to be snake aware, if that makes sense, isn't it, about where you're putting your hands and feet when you're out, uh, you know, moving out in the wilderness. Absolutely. And I am a, always a strong proponent of, you know, you're outside. There's no reason to have music in the ears. Listen to the music that nature's providing because yeah listening to what's going on listening for that rattle sound watching where you're putting your hands and your feet and because like we said multiple times already that they they like to hide and so if there's a downed log across the trail looking over the log before you put your foot there might be a snake stretched out on the other side and if if something comes at them suddenly they may not rattle before they strike so, you know, just paying attention to that. And it also works for our hiking companions. If you've got little ones hiking with you, um, watching where they're putting their hands and their feet. If you've got dogs with you, watching where they're putting their hands and their feet as well. And, you know, I also, if you're on a horse, I'm not often on a horse sure. <laughs> on trails, yep. but just keeping an eye out for what, where the horse might be stepping so that they're, you know, they're not startled. And in that case in particular... If the horse gets startled, not going to go well for the rider. So, um, you know, just keeping an eye out, taking it a little bit slower. You know, we're out there for a reason and enjoying the, the, the wild around us and just seeing what's going on. And one of the things I like about that is when you're watching for a rattlesnake on the trail, you're also going to notice the little flowers or maybe the lizard that scurries across or 
the butterfly. I mean, there's just so many other things out there to see. And so take a little bit of time and be safe and enjoy what's around. Okay, so we're uh, we're walking along. We're trying to be snake aware, but uh, the the unwanted happens, and, and we get bit by a rattlesnake. I, I'm assuming, by based on what you're saying, uh, unlike the westerns I've watched, I shouldn't cut the wound and then try and suck the venom out. Right? Is that correct? No, no. <laughs> westerns are not wildlife documentaries in no way. Um, so, so yeah, the best first aid kit that you can have if you're out there and and have a an unfortunate run in with a rattlesnake is your cell phone. Stay calm, and, you know, we always say that when, when we're talking about any of this stuff. Stay calm, which is easier said than done, but stay calm. Call for help if you're far enough back in. Get yourself to the doctor and, and let them take a look at it. You know, you'll see, cut it open and suck the venom out, and all you're doing there is turning an envenomation into uh, an open wound. And so, you know, just get, get medical treatment. And it, in a lot of cases, you know, call ahead. Let them know if, you're, if you've got someone who can drive you there. Let them know you're coming. Okay. And if you happen to have seen the snake or could have gotten a picture of the snake, that will also be helpful as well. Just to know what are the chances of what species, what, what are the chances of it being an envenomation and what, are, what species was it? Well, how about, uh, you mentioned, you know, dogs, and, and I'm, I'm a horseman myself. I'm not quite a bit uh, riding out uh, in the wilderness, uh, you know, cattle as well. How about animals when they get bit by uh, a rattlesnake? Is there something we should know there for our dogs and, and horses and cattle? You know, when it comes to dogs, it's, it's the same thing. You know, get them to the doctor, get them to the vet. A lot of times the problem happens in animals. As they get bigger, the problem gets less. Okay. And so, like with a dog, my dog is about 50 pounds. If she were to get bit, it's going to be on the nose or the, or the front paws because she's going to pounce on something. And that the problem becomes that, that envenomation around the face. Um, and it's the same for bigger animals as well. Uh, a horse or cattle or even elk. Um, I was just seeing some, some references to elk um, by getting bit by rattlesnakes. Mm. Apparently it's reasonably common, but they're going to get bit. If they get bit on the legs, apparently doesn't do as much damage as if they're down there sniffing something and they get bit in the face area. Okay. It causes any swelling that impacts breathing or um, feeding or drinking. Um, that can be a problem. So, so, so how did you get fascinated and involved in, in studying snakes? I mean, where did that come from for you? <laughs> much to the horror of my... Um, Grandmother and mother, I um, have always been interested in snakes and um, can remember from very young age, I, I grew up in South Dakota and we had um, garter snakes up there and was always out chasing the snakes in the yard and always getting yelled at for, getting, for chasing the snakes in the yard. Um, they're just such, such different animals. I mean, you think about it, the, uh, the desert Mossasaga, one of our rattlesnakes, the one down in southeast, again, only about two, two and a half feet long. They do seasonal migrations to their winter and summer sites, and wow. you know they can be a couple miles. And that's a that's an animal two feet long that's traveling a couple miles without legs. Yeah, I mean that's just amazing. And there's just so many different adaptations. The the other thing that goes along with the mimic that um, I always find really interesting bull snakes will do is they'll puff their cheeks out. Mm -hmm. um, to make themselves look like rattlesnakes. And so there's just all these little things they do that are just remarkable. And um, they're really, really amazing creatures. They're also beautiful.
down near Pueblo Reservoir, um, the racers can be a beautiful coral red color, mm. um, which is really striking. Um, so, yeah, just neat. And I've always had an interest in them. Um, and luckily came came down here to Colorado where we have so many. You know, as we wrap things up here, by the way, this has been uh, highly fascinating. I'm, I'm just amazed at these creatures, and so we, we really appreciate you joining us here on Colorado Outdoors. <laughs> wrap things up. Do you, have a, do you have a favorite snake story, rattlesnake story from your time studying them or something that's unique about them that maybe you haven't touched on? I think one of my favorites, and, and it wasn't work-related, I was out for a run on a trail here in the metro area, and early early weekend morning, and, and there was a big bull snake crossing the trail. So I gave him a little bit of space, and he saw me coming, and he coiled up, and he gave me the full mimic. And he's rattling, and he's puffing his cheeks out, and he's like, I'm tough, I'm tough. And I'm like, buddy, you're the wrong person to do this to. I'm like, you really have to keep going, because there was a, a family coming down the trail. Yeah. And he uh, he decided, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm standing my ground, and so I'm like, okay, fine, so I head down the trail to um, warn this family with a stroller and a toddler and a dog that there's a snake up ahead and they need to just be aware. And, <laughs> and the minute I turned my back, he bolted. He was gone. <laughs> you <laughs> like, weren't buying here. what he was selling, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, was, he, was, he was so full of himself. And, um, you know, and I think that's the neat thing, too. They can just have so much bravado, if, right. I, if I can say that. Yeah. And they're, they're just really amazing creatures. I've also, I get some amazing photos sent to me, people asking me to ID um, snakes and that they've seen. And one that I really enjoyed was from a January snowstorm. The snow had just passed. And this little snake was peeking out from a manhole cover. And so the manhole cover had melted the snow and he's, he's peeking out going, is it safe yet? <laughs> <laughs> They get a bad rap, I think, uh, probably generally speaking. But uh, you come to Colorado Outdoors because you're going to talk to people like Tina Jackson. She's going to call them cute and tell you why you should be fascinated by them. Tina, great stuff today. We appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Fantastic information from CPW Species Conservation Coordinator Tina Jackson. With the Colorado weather warming up and rattlesnakes becoming more active, you can now head out on your next outdoor adventure armed with Tina's guidance for the next time you encounter a rattlesnake in the Colorado Outdoors. Remember, for anything and everything pertaining to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, go to our website at cpw.state.co.us. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Outdoors, powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. Until next time, get out and enjoy the great outdoors in our beautiful state of Colorado. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is a nationally recognized leader in conservation, outdoor recreation, and wildlife management. The agency manages 42 state parks, 960-plus species of wildlife in Colorado, more than 350 state wildlife areas, and a host of recreational programs from hunting and fishing to the state's trails program, boat registration, snowmobiles, off-highway vehicles, and more. 
All of its management is in perpetuity for the enjoyment of Coloradans and its visitors.